0: Father, Son, and Spirit, we're so thankful because you are the one who shows the ultimate hospitality that we can live into and that we can imitate. Thank you because you have convened us here. And so now we pray that your Holy Spirit might open up all of our hearts and our minds to be open to that which you want to posit there. For we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen. So the passage for today is Galatians 3, which we just read. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. And for all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. And the question that we are going to be looking at this morning is, what does it mean to be clothed with Christ? In Colossians 3, you would also see it. So not only Galatians 3, but Colossians 3, it speaks about putting off certain things and putting on other things, right? And putting off has to do with malice and rage and anger and, 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 all, and, and uh, jealousies and all kinds of sinful behaviors. We are supposed to put those off and put on and be clothed with faith, with hope, with love, with the fruit of the Spirit, In Galatians, the historical and literary context shows us that uh, when Paul is writing this letter to them, there's a concern about the relationship of law and grace. And obviously, he is teaching us grace and living into putting on the, the, the person of Jesus Christ. So the question I have is, if we are supposed to put on Christ might we be able to learn something by looking at what Christ himself wore when he walked on this earth? And you might be surprised that there are over 10 references in the New Testament to the clothing of Christ. And so maybe if we look at the clothing of Christ and what he wore as he walked on the earth, and as we look at those references, some are direct references, some are by inference and by deduction, Uh, If we look at that, might we learn a little bit more about who God is and a little bit more about who we are? And so what we'll do this morning is we'll look at these over 10 pieces of clothing that Jesus wore, then we'll just pause a moment and say, what does that have to do with us? And we'll look at our clothing. Is it mentioned in Scripture as well? And then we'll finish with two or three conclusions concluding remarks. Okay? So here we go. At the very beginning, we know in the New Testament that God was not a God that stayed in five-star heaven throwing pamphlets or holy oil or anything onto the earth to bless it, but rather He became one of us. And the angel says to Mary, you will name Him Jesus or Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means... God with us. In the book of Matthew, you have this wonderful theological concept called an inclusio, which means it begins one way and it ends the same way, kind of like bookends. God with us. You will name him Emmanuel. God with us. And at the very end, the great commission. You'll go into all the nations, right, And, and make disciples. And then the promise, and I will be with you always. God with us. I will be with you always. Matthew wants us to know from the beginning and to the end, throughout the whole story of Jesus, God, through Jesus, is with us. So God incarnates and comes close to humanity. He comes to live in the neighborhood. He comes into the barrio. He comes into the favela. He comes to live next door. He is with us. There's one of my favorite sayings that says, Throughout history, there have been many men who have wanted to be like a God. But there's only been one God who's been willing to become a man. His name is Jesus. Now Mary dressed him, and his first item of clothing was what any Jewish baby would have worn, swaddling clothes we sing at Christmas time, or diapers in a... A Jewish mother would have uh, put an ointment of oil on the baby and then some salts that they used to put and then they would wrap them tightly with the swaddling cloths. And that would probably be the clothing that Mary put on Jesus. The very first clothing of Jesus was the ordinary diapers that any Jewish baby would have worn. These diapers symbolize for me the identification of God with his creation. Out of love, he becomes one of us. John 1.1, 1, 1, the word became flesh. John 1.14, he came and he put his tabernacle, he put his tent in the midst of his people. God identifies himself with us in those diapers of the miracle of the incarnation. Secondly, Jesus grows up and he follows in his father's footsteps and probably learns the vocation of his father. And there's a reference, even though it's indirect, to something that Jesus would have worn. Later in Mark, it says that some people asked, isn't this the son of the carpenter? Jesus was the son of a, the Greek word is technon. Technon, we traditionally think of as a carpenter, but it really just means a builder. Jesus was working with his hands in an ordinary job, and we know that carpentry or a builder was just a common job, a man working with his hands, making a living, doing what his parents did and probably what his grandparents did, and they passed on the vocations through these guilds in the first century Palestinian environment. They say that there was one profession that was lower than that of a technon that profession was the one who had to work with leather. The person who had to work with leather, the word is coming to me in Spanish, curtidor. A tanner, thank you. Angela's my translator from Spanish to English. It's funny, sometimes the Spanish word comes quicker than the English word to me. I grew up in Argentina, so that's my excuse. A tanner, what did they have to do to get the leather? They had to go kill an animal and get, the, and get the leather. But what would they get on their hands? When they kill the animal, they get blood on their hands. Jesus might have come as a tanner, which was really low on the social uh, rung of professions and vocations. But he couldn't because there were some Deuteronomic laws that said that if somebody had blood on their hands, they were not going to be able to come into the temple and teach. And Jesus, in God's economy, they knew he was going to have to go into the temple and teach. Therefore, he did not come as a tanner, but he came as a technon, which is a carpenter, or a man who worked with his hands. So we have the diapers, ordinary uh, baby, Jewish baby, God becoming fully man, fully divine, fully human. Then we have this, this carpenter's apron that Jesus must have worn when he was working with a saw, with a hammer, with nails, and whatever he was building so we have here clothing of that is ordinary clothing of humility and if you don't believe that the third one i think is the checkmate of this god that is so humble in his identification with humanity and that is that it says in the new testament that later in his ministry jesus is with the disciples and he goes to them and he teaches them and then he says i did not come to be served but I have come to serve. And it says in the specific detail, he took out the outer garments, wrapped a towel of service around his waist, and he washed his disciples' feet. Diapers, ordinary identification, divinity with humanity, God becoming one of us. The carpenter's apron, a common man working with his hands. Third, the servant's towel in John 13:4 it says so he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist John 13:4 Some people might be saying well these three pieces of clothing that you have talked on are v- about so far are very interesting but it, it's it seems like a weak god or like too humble of a god I just want to assure you God is humble but he is also powerful The fourth clothing that I want to mention is the clothing where there is a lady who is hemorrhaging blood. And she has gone to all the doctors that were in that area. She has tried everything, even the quacks probably. She probably changed through some of those channels, you know, where they sell shark tooth and different things that will help you. None of that worked. But she had heard that there was a man who brought healing. He could speak and people would be healed. He could touch, and people would be healed miraculously, and that his name was Jesus. And she heard that Jesus was coming through town, and she said, if I only touch the hem of his garment, maybe I will be healed. And so she goes through the crowd, and she go- And this is incredible because this is a woman, and it's a woman who is bleeding If you know something about the Old Testament laws, these things did not mix with a rabbi, a teacher. And Jesus was a teacher. And she wiggles through there and with great courage because she is in despair. And sometimes when we're in despair, we need courage to do something different. And she touches the hem of his garment and Jesus feels power that left from his body and he turns and he addresses the woman who had such great faith, and says, not only are you healed, he says, you are saved. Healing and salvation comes to this woman of faith who said, if I only touch the hem of his garment. We've seen some clothing of humility, but there's also clothing of power. But, Knowing the human condition, sometimes we go for the miracle, and once the miracle happens, we move on. We use it like a credit card. We pray. We need rain, and rain comes. We put the credit card away, and we continue doing and living however we want until there's a next problem. We need rain. Then after God answers, we keep living however we want. The miracle attracts And we're grateful for a while, but oftentimes we go somewhere else and forget about God. And so the next clothing is so important. It says that the closest disciples of Jesus went up a mountain. Theologically, they call this the moment of transfiguration. Because God manifests himself in Jesus in a very special way. These disciples are up on this mountain. Jesus is going to teach them and spend time with them. And all of a sudden... It says that then right there before those disciples, he was transfigured before them. And look at the detail in the New Testament. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Wow. Here is Jesus who will later say, I am the light of the world. It's not just about the miracle and coming for when there's something special or a particular need. Praise God for that. But it's also about staying the road of the path of making God's word the light unto our path. And following the teachings of Jesus so that our life not only goes from miracle to miracle, but throughout our life, from the cradle to the grave, we can be a generation that follows in the light of Jesus Christ. But then the story takes a big turn and some of the saddest clothes ever mentioned in the New Testament come now. You see there were some people that loved Jesus but there were probably a lot more that hated Jesus. There were two particular groups that did not like Jesus. One was the religious establishment. Jesus came fulfilling the law, and he came as the promised one from the Old Testament, but there had already been a whole series of man-made rules and regulations of how you had to check the box, check the box, check the box. We would call that legalism. And the, the, the religious establishment benefited from the things as they were. And this man, Jesus, is coming and bringing a message that's a little bit different than the man-made religiosity and the man-made list of do this but don't do that or where there were all kinds of external things but inside the hearts were rotten. And so they don't like Jesus because he comes preaching this faith, hope, and love and he doesn't only teach it but he lives it. And he's getting more and more followers, and he's messing with the religious establishment. The other group that hates him is the political establishment. The Romans are in control. And here is a group of people who are starting to say, Jesus is Lord. The word Lord in that time was reserved for the Caesar, who was like a half-god. And for somebody else to be called Lord was a competition and a threat to the existing human Caesars. And so the political establishment also has an order, and they benefit from that particular order, and they don't like this man who comes preaching a different way. I'll venture, this will be my only political comment today, I promise. We sometimes, the world offers us something over on this side, and they offer us something on this side. And they love it when we fight. And we just bite all the time on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. My brother calls it FaceTube. And and we're going back and forth and back and forth. And it's okay to have discourse with culture. We need to engage culture. But Jesus says, don't get caught in this thing. Because all the options that the human human uh, establishment is giving you is sometimes going against what should be a cross a countercultural Jesus way, the third way, a higher way, a better way, where we love our neighbor, no matter if they're over here or over here, we love our neighbor. Why? It's not about crushing them on Facebook. It's about loving them into the kingdom. Amen. So here's the the next close. The religious leaders and the political leaders, they come together, they collude against Jesus, and they go and they get him, and the soldiers bring him to a place called the Praetorium. When they bring him to the Praetorium, it says this. They stripped him. Look at the detail of clothing. Today we're talking about the metaphor of clothing that Paul uses in the New Testament. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, knelt in front of him, and mocked him. This is some of the saddest clothing in the whole of scriptures. The scarlet robe. Why a scarlet robe? Some of you know that in the first century, the color scarlet was a color that represented royalty. They pro- and it also represented authority. So they probably took it off an officer of the Roman legions, and they put it on Jesus, as mocking him as someone used it. They say, you're a king. Well, here, let's put this scarlet robe on you. And then, of course, they crushed that thorn, thorny crown on his head. They put a staff in his hand like if it were the scepter of a king, and then they spit on him, they kicked him, and they mocked him. Little did they know that if Jesus had wanted, he could have called a legion of angels. And he who made the heavens and the earth and everything that is in it could have just wiped them out with a word. But he went the way of suffering because of you and because of me. Because he had a greater mission that he was about to accomplish. And we'll see about that clothing. As well, he carries the cross as far as he can. Then another man helps him up the hill, and they crucify Jesus. And look what it says in John 19 when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless woven in one piece from top to bottom. Now I have to tell you something that is probably the most difficult part of this sermon, and maybe it's good that some of the children are gone. Many scholars of the New Testament and of first century life, they think that it is possible that to try to take away Jesus' dignity completely, that when they hung him on the cross, after they had fulfilled the prophecy from Psalm 22, where it had already said years before that they will cast lots for his clothing that is fulfilled at the foot of the cross, and because they don't want to break that undergarment, They cast lots so to see which of the soldiers will get to keep it. But if that's the undergarment, we don't have it directly there. But it would stand to reason that it is possible, according to some scholars, that Jesus went naked to the cross. Many of you have had the privilege, as have I, to travel through Europe cathedrals and European museums... And often you will see the picture of Jesus on the cross, but they always do us the favor for our sensitivities to put some nice cloths in front of his private parts. But it is possible that Jesus went to the maximum humility because he wanted to clothe you and clothe me with his love. If the story ended there, you would say, wow. Why is it that sometimes in the movies and in the Greek tragedies, the the good guy dies? Nice guys die. Another poet, another revolutionary, another another subversive uh, teaching. But they always die. But there's good news here. Otherwise, this would not be gospel, and gospel means evangelion, and evangelion means good news, and so I'm happy to be able to report to you that we still have a few pieces of clothing that we need to talk about this morning, and one of them is the clothing of resurrection. We are the people of the third day. You might have not thought of it that way, but you, when you walk out of this place, you should say, I'm a third day person. We are the people of the third day. Because they said, on the third day, he will be risen, he will be raised from among the dead. And the disciples hadn't fully understood this. And they were scared and, and, and wondering, what happened? Jesus has died. He's been crucified. This is not the way this story is supposed to go. It's not how it's supposed to end. And I have good news for the women. For some reason in God's economy, in a man's world, the first century world, women are given the privilege of being the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the angel says to them three things. Fear not. Go and tell. To this day, women are being raised up, are not fearing And they're going, and they're telling. Praise the Lord. Sometimes to us men, in our leadership, the women make us think, man, if they're doing this, I got to step up. So the women go, and they knock where the disciples are hanging out, wondering why is this story ending so badly. they open the door, and they hear the woman say, He's alive! He has been raised from the dead! And they give verbal witness to the reality that we are third-day people. But in those days, this is the bad news for the women, the woman's uh, voice had to be verified. So not one guy, especially in Matthew, this is important for the Jewish audience, two people have to go and make sure that this is true. So do you remember there are two disciples that run, and they run, and they run, and they get there. Do you remember who gets to the tomb first? John gets there first. In Spanish, we have a joke (laughs) that John gets there first. He gets there, and then Peter. And those of you who know your Bible and who know your cars, you'll understand the the correlation. John gets there first because he's got first, second, and third. Peter only has first and second. (laughs) 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 John gets there first but he doesn't dare to go into the tomb Peter then gets there huffing and puffing and he goes right in impetuous Peter goes in and there what does he find and this is what amazes me and I hope it amazes you another New Testament mention of the clothing of Christ It says there, then Simon Peter arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself separate from the linen. Do you see the level of detail on the clothing of Christ? Brothers and sisters and friends who are listening, this is the resurrection closed. This is the evidence that they needed to see the empty tomb and the, and the cloths there. And that they knew Jesus was alive. Now with new hope, the disciples can go and do their work of the Great Commission and to go and make disciples of all nations, which is going on to this day. And we're actually involved in that work together in our partnership through Cornerstone Community Church and through multiplication network. And, and a circle as a powerful tool of women's discipleship and giving circle working so that multiplication network can reach more and more people throughout the world with the good news that they too can be third-day people. But two more that I want to mention, and then we will conclude. It says in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, That there is a vision that John has of Jesus standing among the lampstands. And it says, among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. And listen to this. He's dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. I was enjoying watching the interpreter uh, in the sign language. And I'm wondering how that would be done but i like thinking that that sash that is coming around jesus chest is the clothing that now the father has bestowed on his son he has accomplished his whole life from the diapers of incarnation to the apron apron of a of a carpenter working with his hands to the to the towel of humility washing people's feet and saying i did not come to to serve but to be not to serve be served, but to serve, sorry. He, this God, Jesus Christ, comes, and in all those clothings that I mentioned, he went through the clothing of suffering, but then resurrected, and now in heaven, the Father has dressed him with an incredible clothing that includes a golden sash over that white robe. I think this is the clothing of divinity and the clothing of royalty, and the clothing that the father gives to his son. Then then there's one last reference. Usually when I say there's a last reference somebody in the crowd says amen. amen. <laughs> in the final days we know that Jesus comes back and he's riding on a horse They call it the four horsemen in some places, and there's lots of movies about that that are fairly dramatic. But we know that at the end of the time, the king is coming back, and he will usher in a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth where all things will be completed. He's already in the project of making all things new. That project has begun at the cross. That project has begun at the empty tomb. That project has begun on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out on the church and the Great Commission was given to go out into the whole world. I like that saying, it's not about bringing the whole world to your church, it's about mobilizing your whole church to go into the world. (laughs) And as we are part of that mission, joining God in what He's doing in the world, there is a final judgment day. And in this image, last reference to clothing in Revelation 19, it says this, He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. So scholars have two different interpretations for this. And because I fly home tomorrow, I can give you the two interpretations, and then you can talk to your pastor tomorrow about which is the right one. (laughs) One interpretation is that that blood is the blood of vengeance. Anything that has been cruel, that has been evil, or associated with what is wrong in the world is going to be decimated and done for. No more pain, no more crying, no more tears, no more dying. And we will live in the light of Jesus. Others say, yes, it's that blood of judgment of the armies of heaven But it includes a reminder of the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the outpouring of His blood at the cross once and for all, sufficient to forgive our sins, but not only to forgive our sins, but to conquer death with death to give us life, life in abundance and life eternal, which we already enjoy. You don't enjoy life eternal when you die and go to heaven, you are enjoying being a citizen of heaven here and now. You are a citizen of the kingdom now. You're a third day person. You are inviting people into a new creation now, but it will be consummated at the end of time. And so we live between the already and the not yet. So we got to that point where we have to say, okay, interesting. 10 or 11 pieces of clothing. I hadn't really looked at that or seen that in this way. What on earth does that have to do with us here in 2023 in Chowchilla? And I'd like to just offer a potential answer to that. And it only takes about three minutes. Is there anybody here who will give me one more minute? Raise your hand. One, two, three. I've got about 25 more minutes. The Bible mentions your clothing and my clothing in the first book and in the last book of Scripture. This is amazing to me. Let's do this really quick. Please stick with me. Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of man and woman, Adam and Eve. And they also, not only historically, but also represent each one of you. Their story is our story. In Genesis chapter 3, the fall. Adam and Eve sin against God. They eat from the the tree that they were not supposed to eat. And what is the result of them having disobeyed God? The very first thing that we see as the result of sin coming into the world is that their eyes were opened and they recognized something. What did they recognize? That they were naked. The very first reference of the, the heavy, grave result of sin is that they notice... And they start having shame. Sin comes into the world. Guilt comes into the world. Shame comes into the world. And then Jesus, uh, the, the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, walking through the garden. God walking through the garden. Where are you? Where are you? One of the first questions that God asks in all of Scripture is, where are you? And I think it's more than a geographic location question. God didn't need a iPhone GPS (laughs) it's a relational question and so I ask you today where are you